0: Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes.
1: Mark, welcome onto the Australian finance podcast today. It is wonderful to have you here. Thank you for inviting me. Now, you have a pretty interesting background, and you've worked in the financial advice space for a long time. Are you able to give us the quick 60-second pitch for what you've done uh, and what you're doing now?
2: Sure. Uh, well, originally, going back geez, 30-odd years ago, 1987, share market crashed back then. Uh, I was actually left an electrical engineering uh, career, wanted to get into the share market, But once the share market crashed, uh, I turned to superannuation, which was just starting out there. So, right back in the beginning of that, and have loved that career ever since. That's 30 odd years and uh, just. And pretty well, what a lot of advisors do, they their clients are sort of their demographic. And so now that I was approaching retirement, uh, my clients were approaching retirement. So uh, probably the last 10, 15 years, I've sort of specialized in the pre-retiree market, anywhere people in their 40s, 50s and 60s. And yeah, yeah, just loved it, helped um, building relationships with clients and helping them reach financial freedom. So that was great. Uh, what I am doing now is that I've decided that I wanted one last big challenge and so decided to write a book uh, based on what I was actually doing as a financial advisor um, because I did find that unfortunately our uh, profession is become expensive um, for, for the, the average uh, mum and dad, Australian mum and dad and so I wanted to do something a bit different and so that started on this new career.
1: Yeah, and I don't think you mentioned, but you were the the past president of the Association of Financial Advisors, which is pretty cool.
2: Yeah, there's yeah, it's one of the leading association bodies in our profession, and I just one of the good things I always loved about our profession was that uh, older advisors would look mentor the newer advisors, and I absolutely uh, had the benefit of that. And some of the older advisors, and they just said, "Yeah, we're not going to charge you for this. We're going to help you as much as we can." But when it's your turn, you've got to give back. And so that was, for me, the easiest way was to help with this association and help the younger advisors and in their education and um, experience. And then, yeah, lucky enough to move to the national president for four years. So that was a fun gig because that was actually during the Royal Commission. So that was a lot of fun times.
1: <laughs> I can imagine. And so you've had a lot of experience working with lots of different financial advisors. And I know many of our listeners I do want to get professional advice? They hear our disclaimer saying, "If you want a personal question answered, go and speak to a qualified financial advisor." But often there's a bit of a gap between saying, "Go and see a qualified financial advisor," and actually finding the right one for you. And I'd love to unpack that a bit more, Mark. So, sure. what just to start with, what are some of the things that a financial advisor can even help us with? Okay, I think it's changed. It's, it's
2: definitely changed from when I first started, and there was definitely far more focus on products. So there was definitely, that was that was the past. Mm-hmm. I really see ever since probably the 2008 global financial crisis uh, was such a big hit to the share markets, but it was also to our profession. And so I think from then, uh, we realized if we're going to help our clients through this, we do need to be actually better in our service offering. We need, need to be better in the values and what we can provide. And I know definitely from then, uh, coaching became an accountability and reaching your goals became far more important than trying to sell product. And the ones especially who are still uh, in this industry or in this profession um, are are nearly coaches in a way. I would never expect anyone to go see a a financial advisor and they just say, okay, um, we're going to do this with your soup. We're going to help you pay off your mortgage and, you know, start a savings program and that's it. Just come back in 12 months time and that's it. It just would be, you know, there's no relationship, there's no value there. Mm. Uh, And from a financial point of view, might actually be doing the right thing. But, you know, that's not what that's not going to cut it anymore. Um, People do really need to be able to say, my financial advisor has helped me understand exactly what the plan is, what my goals are. And if I actually wanted to, I, I know enough to actually do it myself. I just don't want to, you know, life gets in the way. I would rather do other things. I'm glad someone in the background is looking after this. But that to me, a financial advisor should be there as a coach, uh, helping you understand exactly what, you, what you're going to do or what you want to do. Um, and rather than just, oh, here's a product, invest in this and you'll be fine.
1: Yeah. So if you're looking for a financial advisor nowadays, you'd really be looking for someone who's going to focus on educating you as well and helping you understand the plan, even if you don't want to put the plan into place and monitor it on a regular basis, someone who's still going to help you understand the the broad picture of how your finances are slotting into place?
2: I think so, because, you know, if you're compared, a lot of people used to uh, compare us to accountants and say, well, okay, why don't you just charge us a one-off fee? Uh, We see you once a year and that's it. But really, that's fine if you're looking after your taxes and it is a one-off event, when you're looking after your, um, if you're trying to reach a goal to 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 buy your first home or you want to build an investment property or you want to get your super there, you want someone continually there keeping you accountable. Uh, it's always say like you're having a financial gym buddy, you know, if it's sort of like, you're on a Sunday morning, it's freezing cold and you sort of got to get up to go to the gym. Uh You know, if it's cold, you might just wallow. But if you know someone's there waiting for you, a coach or a gym buddy, you'll get up and do it. And it's just like sort of, I sort of compare it to New Year's resolutions. They usually, if you're left to your own devices, they probably last two or three months. But if you've got someone there checking up on you every three months, every six months, however often you want, it's the actually the, the number one way to reach any goal is having someone keeping you accountable. And I think that's a that's a great role financial advisors do um, which is not usually thought of you know they thought of okay you can invest my super or, or get me an insurance policy but the accountability and coaching is not really thought of but that's definitely a, a plus from all the modern advisors
1: yeah and especially a financial advisor could potentially talk you out of making a decision that might really negatively impact your finances say in March 2020 you might have been really scared about seeing a superannuation balance fall and you might have Uh, had the feeling that you wanted to change your super to all cash or something like that. And having a financial advisor or someone you could talk to, that might've been someone who would actually talk you out of making a decision that could be quite harmful long-term.
2: Yeah, and it's I think it's like in anything you do, you know, you're just busy in life. So if you just quickly see a snippet or a headline and see everything's crashing around you, well, of course you're going to, to human nature to want to react and do something to fix it. You know, you don't want to just sort of hold, you know, uh, sit on your hands, and unfortunately, sometimes that is the actual best advice. Is to okay. Historically, we've always had these about every once every ten years, and uh, the best part because you, no one can time a market or pick a market. It's been pretty well proven, and so you've just got to ride this out. And historically, we know it will always rebound. We just don't know when uh, and how quickly. But you know, people I have I have spoken to many people have said oh, okay, no, you only need to wait six months or 12 months and then the share market all there. So as long as I keep it in cash and 12, I've seen share markets in 2020, exact, for example, that was three months. No one picked that was going to come back. And it's like 60, 70% of the rise was on one day. Mm-hmm. So you can't pick it. It really is too hard. And so um, I think it's just a matter of getting advice to sort of sometimes do nothing is the best advice at all.
1: Yeah. And I feel like we we often, when we pay for something, we want something actionable Absolutely. right then and there. And we want to get something for it. So getting told uh, just your finances are great, like leave them as they is, is often hard to sort of justify that price in your mind, isn't
2: it? Yeah, it is. But having at least someone who is there to tell you that is, is important. And I think in the past, that's where I think financial advisors, especially as I said, the 2008 global financial mm-hmm. crisis, we had had probably 10 odd years of really, really good returns and a lot of new advisors to the industry uh, had never seen a negative return. So when it happened, they didn't know what to do. And unfortunately, I think a lot of them found out, well, you know, we're hiding because we don't want to have all this uh, unhappy clients. Whereas it's actually, we we, we, de- we now know in, any, in anything in life bad news, you've got to be on the front foot, you've got to actually try and help people understand and help them through this. Uh, and I think the, the modern advisor is, is well equipped to do that.
1: Mm, yeah, so you want an advisor who's going to be able to have those conversations with you as well.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I think there was a really good little quote, I must not I used to use it about um, having someone uh, helping busy people. Uh, make smart decisions about money and I think it just really is because exactly what you said before uh, there's so many times you you listen there's so much information out there that's the simple thing you know, whether it's Google uh, or it's your best friend or someone's heard a tip or something you've got to do this uh, and it's just unfortunate to sift through all that information' uh, it's, it's, that's why you know you go to a doctor you know you, you hear all this knowledge or hear all this information but you know your doctor has the knowledge to sift through that and that's what a financial advisor does. Um, and can absolutely, yeah, over a period of lifetime can save you thousands absolutely from not making bad decisions or not reacting when you should just just leave things uh, as they are.
1: Now I know there isn't a specific figure here because it really depends on who it is, but what is the the cost of financial advice like nowadays?
2: Yeah, it's it does vary and so it's in, it really is important to sort of, depending on your circumstances. And we are saying before about the disclaimer, um, because if you want something tailored to your own situation, everyone is different. So that, that's the first thing It will vary. But if you wanted to give a ballpark, and I actually put have a whole chapter in the back of my book uh, to actually talk about exactly that, how to find an advisor uh, how, and how what the standard costings would be. But if I was staying somewhere between 3000 to five thousand for the first year. Yeah, yes, it could go up to ten thousand if it's a quite a complex situation. But three to five thousand, because I, there was a survey done recently where people said they're willing to pay five hundred dollars because you know I just want a simple savings program. Mm. That's fine, but on. Th- Fortunately, the compliance and regime that financial advisors have to do, and we get audited every, independently audited every year on the advice we give, there's a sort of know your client rule. So even if you came in and said, I just want to help me set up a savings program, well, we need to ask all the questions, uh, I should say, now, in the past, I used to ask all the questions um, just to ensure you're not in $20,000 debt. There's no use starting a savings plan if you're, if you're heaps of credit card debt. So there is a reason for it, but that can take the finding out about your situation, then doing the research on whatever super or insurance or whatever you might have um, so that they actually have a full comprehensive uh, picture of your situation, can actually, and then doing a report can take up to 20 hours. So, it can't do it for $500. So, that's the reality. Um, and so, for people who are thinking that's all I need, my suggestion is if you really aren't feeling, oh, okay, that's not my situation, and I do understand it is, is expensive, there's wonderful things that you can actually, or you can read, you can listen to podcasts like yourself, which can actually give you the basics. And once you've actually, which for me is getting your cash flow right. Uh, and getting your savings right. And once you've started saving and you've started to build a little bit of a nest egg, then I think it's worthwhile to, to do that because um, you t- it is worthwhile even if you did go just to see if I, I just want to get the very basics right and go once, uh, get your cash flow, get your debt, get your super, get your insurance, and all those little things right the, just once. You could do that and then maybe in two years' time you come back to actually build a plan that's going to be an ongoing service relationship.
1: I know some listeners who are a bit further into their journey have used a financial advisor. like they've done all the research, they've put their mm-hmm. plan into place themselves and they've used a financial advisor just to check. They haven't missed anything on their, their journey because they they wanted to make sure they hadn't missed setting up their insurances or check that they were in the right super. And so using a financial advisor, more of a, a sounding board, which is quite a cool idea.
2: Absolutely. And there yeah, there's definitely financial advisors who will do that, you know, one-offs and just charge you an hourly rate. Um, Probably comes back to that's still for me a very from my uh research and my experience, that's probably a very small minority Mm. of people who are that self-motivated who can do that. And funny enough, accountants and accountants and engineers are the two professions that seem to be, you know, we like doing the numbers, we really enjoy doing this, and we're actually self-motivated to do it ourselves. The rest of us just seem to be, you know, life just gets in the way. So yes, I will come back and see and advise the next year. But five years pass, and that's the problem. Um, so you know it's it's and it's like anything. yeah, we we have our savings goals and like that, but unless we have someone that we definitely have a finite, I've got an appointment in twelve months' time, if it's just left up to us to remember, yeah, mortgages, kids, everything uh, gets in the way. So that's 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 my experience anyway.
1: Yeah, and it, given that it is costing three to five grand potentially for that first year yes. of getting some advice, when does it make sense like in terms of maybe net worth to actually see a financial advisor? Because if you've only got five grand, most financial advisors would probably say it's not um, worth coming to us for financial advice. Cause that would use all of your money. You'd have nothing to actually invest or do things with. So when is there a salary or is there a net worth where it would actually start making a bit more sense to see a financial advisor?
2: Yeah. I... Yes, there is, but I, Every, and as I said, every person's different, <laughs> yeah. but if I, if I was, if I was thinking that, and from when, especially when I was seeing clients, especially in their thirties and forties uh, it was usually, you can usually get your first deposit for your home or investment. If you're going to rent invest for your first investment property, you could probably, you know, people do that on their own they're, they're, and they've got a real goal in mind. So they've got a clear and there. There's a motivation there. I want to get out, stop renting or I want mm-hmm. to leave home. And so I want to be able to get, so that's, most people get to that point. Once they probably have that home uh, and maybe starting a family, that's probably one or two years into a home because, you know, firstly, um, you've got an asset that's worth protecting. And and there's, even though you might have, have a pretty high mortgage against the actual asset within a couple of years, that will grow. And that mortgage will start coming down. So you're going to have a net worth there as well as what your savings uh, and if you've had super probably for 10 so years, that's building into a quite a sizable asset too. And what people probably don't realize, because um, I used to actually do a lot of uh, talks on, around corporate superannuations, t- sorry to, to companies and their staff. I absolutely get, if you're in your 20s, 30s and 40s, you think, well, super somewhere in the future, I'm never going to see this or I'm, it's going to be forever. But um, having it, invested correctly rather than just sitting in the basic default fund can be an extra two or three percent and over a 20, 30 year period will double your superannuation. So getting a lot of that even done right and as well having the safety net of insurance. So pretty well. once I would probably have a property. Uh, Once I've started a family, therefore I'm responsible for dependents and I want to make sure if something ever happened to me, they're going to be well looked after. And thirdly, your superannuation is built up um, probably, and also, you probably need a will, you know, once you've got an asset and a family. So, they're the sort of things I would be thinking, okay, that's worthwhile just going there. And it, whether you actually stay with that advisor or not, but getting an initial plan would be worthwhile.
1: Okay. Yeah. Because I know um, I saw a question from a listener the other day and they said, oh, I've been on really low incomes all my life and now suddenly I'm earning hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, I don't have a huge Uh, nest egg or anything because I've never had money to put aside, but suddenly I'm actually having a lot of income and I'm not really sure what to do with it. Would that also be a circumstance where it might be worthwhile seeing a financial advisor?
2: Yeah. And I actually have two parts to that question, if you don't mind. The first one is absolutely, you know, your salary goes up. You have never had this much money in your life and you don't want to blow it. And I totally understand that. So yes, there's plenty of advisors Who specialize in millennials and getting your savings right. So, not actually Mm. waiting till you have your first home and all that. And they're absolutely brilliant, too. So, I've got no qualms that, you know, if that's your personality as well and you're happy with that, that would suit you. Um, So, definitely you've got this, you've got to make some decisions. Um, So, uh, see it, financial advisors at that. Um, because you can actually get your savings ramped up, getting your money working harder for you to buy your first home and all that. So I totally understand. So that's definitely appropriate. The second part to that, I would just say, there's there's a, from my long experience in doing this, there is so many people who have always said, once I get my next salary increase, that's when I'll start saving. Once I get the huge pay rise and I have all this money, that's when I'll be able to get my financial act together. To me, that's never worked out. It's it's because usually, uh, in reality, you get that higher salary, so does your lifestyle expenses. Um, you want to enjoy life, and I understand that too. So, I've seen people who are on fifty thousand a year, you know, into their fifties and sixties, and have five properties. Um, I've seen people who are on a million dollars a year and are mortgaged up to their hilt and really just one interest rate hike and they they can lose everything. So it's not so much the money, it's more what you do with it that's really important.
1: Yeah, that's that's a really good thing to keep in mind. And if someone's listening right now and they've maybe done a bit of research, asked for some mm-hmm. recommendations, they've got one of those free intro calls booked with a financial advisor what are some questions that you would ask in that very first meeting with a financial advisor to figure out if they're the right fit for you and what you're planning to do?
2: Okay. I think there are a few questions, but if it's a, if for me, if it's a really good advisor, they'll be asking you the questions. Um, you know, it's, it's really, cause I think it works both ways. Uh, you want to make sure you're a good fit with that financial advisor, but I, I think it's the other way around. A financial advisor wants to, will want to feel like I can actually help you as well. Mm. Uh, He shouldn't just take you on as a client just because you're, you're knocked on the door. So I think it does work both ways, but I think, uh, and they should be wanting to ask questions to actually, what are your goals? Not just, you know, what's your super, what's your cash balance? What are your actual goals? What are you, and how they can, and then they can look at how they can help you. But if I was asking uh, a meeting for the first time, I absolutely, I don't want to know their credentials. You just have to, you know, uh, most advisors are either have a degree or a degree equivalent. um, And so that's important. I actually personally, and not being biased, but I do think whether you're part of the AF, the the advisors part of the AFA or the FPA, the two big bodies is important because I know they've got an association backing them. And uh, uh, the third thing is, tell me about your type of clients. Because you will find advisors who specialize in pre-retirees. There'll be ones who specialize in millennials or uh, people who are accumulators. um, And you you will know exactly from your own situation what you want this advisor for. So it's really important to make sure that what that advisor specializes in, uh, and a lot of advisors are special, they don't sort of, you know, I would... Um, if I'm looking after pre-retirees, cause this is roughly my age, I really wouldn't be looking after, I wouldn't be going looking after millennials. They just mm-hmm. they look at me and just, just wouldn't fit. I totally get that, <laughs> you know? Um, so slightly different goals, slightly different goals. And, and, you know, and that's really important that, you know, just someone to actually, you want your advisor to say, I get you. I understand totally what you're doing because I've either been through that or I'm going through that myself, Uh and just from a financial point of view, I can help you with those. So I think, yeah, meeting two or three is also worthwhile. But actually, making sure that what that advisor provides, or what the type, typical type of client they look after, is you, um, and you you will find that. And usually, actually, if I the way I usually do find in anything in life is that I do ask my friends and see, do you have someone that you you know you're really happy with? And, you know, I'd like to go see them as well. And so a word of mouth is is still great in this, um, in this profession.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to remember that you can actually have multiple intro meetings. So you can actually mm. um, meet with a few different advisors and try and work out who's the right fit for you, because you want someone that you leave the room feeling like you were empowered to ask questions. You didn't feel like you were being belittled or um, looked down upon. You want someone who would Who's going to empower you to take control of your finances over a long time?
2: Yeah. And, and I do know, and it's definitely um, part of my role when I was with the AFA was to mentor a lot of and talk to a lot of advisors, especially new advisors. And it's if you're in a profession, it doesn't matter what profession you're in, it's sometimes you can fall into the trap of using jargon. And it's sometimes uh, there's so many acronyms in our industry and you know, even say, oh, the GFC. And someone we well what was the GFC global? Yeah, okay. For us, the global financial crisis was a huge deal. So people would just say GFC. Well, no, why should I assume that that person knows what the GFC is? But unfortunately some advisors do fall into that trap. So I think that's when, you know, just chatting to the advisor, seeing if there's a comfort level, but if they're trying to say, for a start, as I said, they should be asking about you, what your goals, what you, so they can help. If they start just rambling on about, I can do this, I can do that and and start using a lot of technical jargon. Yeah, that's, they're missing the point. That's talking about them rather than focusing on you. So I'd I'd really look out for that. Uh, And really the last is really cost. It's, it's, Yes, you could always find someone cheaper, but will they actually do a good job for you? And it's um, the good thing about our profession, the way it's set up is that a fee, that they charge you a fee, can only last a year. Mm. So pretty well next year, you have to sign a document. You, annual, I think it's still called an annual fee disclosure statement to say that you know, here are all the services you've been provided. You're happy with it and you're happy to continue on for another 12 months. And it it can always be stopped at any time. So that's the good thing that's also changed now in our profession is it's not you're paying for a fee and five years later, oh, I've never heard from that person again. This is still being deducted. That can't happen uh, um, because it's, yeah, it's all fees are usually um, deducted directly from the person, not through a product.
1: Okay, so you're not stuck on a recurring Netflix-style subscription that you just that's forget right. to <laughs> cancel. Yeah. So you actually know what you're paying every year. I think that's that's probably a very good improvement, isn't it?
2: Absolutely, I oh, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, so I should say, life insurance is the only one that still has a percentage commission. And mm-hmm. you know, some people say, "Oh, it shouldn't have commission," or "Should have commission," but uh, it's definitely it's different. Like if you're paying a fee for your superannuation, that's fine. But if you're having a commission, the last thing you want to do is if you're paying, if you're having to claim on your life insurance or your family's got a claim, that you say, "Oh, well, you've got to pay me a fee for that." No, that's what commission is there for to help you in those. So it's a bit different as a product, uh, but from definitely investment shares, super, um, you should be paying a fee, and it should be you should be signing off on that basically every year.
1: Awesome. Now, if we turn away from the topic of advice, which is really important, but I know you have a lot of thoughts on the the topic of the upcoming sort of intergenerational wealth transfer. I've seen many articles talking about that there's going to be this massive transfer of wealth from uh, older Australians and just people globally to to younger Australians. And sometimes it it hits either side. So it might be um, young people or also people getting it from their parents or their grandparents. So I was wondering if you were able to sort of explain a little bit more about your thoughts on this and maybe how do you uh, prepare yourself or prepare your children if you do expect you might be receiving a sum of money.
2: Yeah, it's and thank you for asking because it really is a good uh, a good point to talk about because people first of all, people don't talk about it. that's the problem. you know we're Australians, we have a, a probably a lot of English background. Uh, and so they don't, English don't talk about money. Whereas if you came from America, they would just talk about it openly. You know, what's your salary, how much you're worth, what are you doing with it? And it's really sometimes for Australians, it's very confronting if you're in America and that around a dinner table and they're asking you all these money questions, we just don't talk <laughs> about it. So, so it is something I really want people to talk about, but yeah, not in a bad way, but it's just, we do need to be far more positive about money. Um, and I think, if When I ever talk to my clients and say they were pre-retirees, 50s and 60s in the main, and I may ask them, you know, what are your three goals? Typically, yes, the first one is I want to be able to retire comfortably. I want financial freedom, financial dependence, and stop working. Totally got that. But usually the second goal is I am really worried about my adult children uh, or I'm worried about my elderly parents. Uh, to the point that sort of nicknamed the conversation to have this uh, to have about the wealth transfer because firstly um, baby boomers and and this generation below 50s and 60s just before the gen x's uh, they are have built up a significant wealth whether it's super whether it's property their own home we're only seeing in the major cities what a standard home's worth now you know we're we're talking millions um and so they're worried that that transferring to their children they're going to get this huge lump sum of money. Will they be financially equipped to handle it? Mm. The second thing is, uh, and it is a pet uh, peeve of mine, is that for especially uh, now on TV, every second ad seems to be a gambling ad. Uh, so you know, my generation it was the smoking, and we've pretty well seen that. Pretty stopping tobacco advertising pretty well killed smoking for ninety percent of it. Uh, and I'm really hoping something eventually happens to the gambling and easy debt, you know, easy loans. You know? Oh, I don't have money, money this week. Uh, yeah, go get this pay loan. we will just quickly do that. And it, that just starts this endless cycle. So um, there's sort of some crazy data around that from easy loans or pay now, um, buy now, pay later or credit cards. The average 25-year-old is nearly in $5,000 uh, debt already. And so, you know, that's the sort of things that keeps their parents or their mothers up at night uh, worrying about that. So I think, yes, that wealth transfer, but also that there's so much easy access to debt um, nowadays that there's a real concern around that. So I think, yes, there's far more um, uh, knowledge and information and helpful surfaces, services around finance and money now, but it is... I we that generation do worry about that. So uh, looking at the wealth transfer itself, what I think we, we talk about it is that we actually say, yep, having the conversation. So for your adult children, just say, sit them down, have a dinner and just say, you know, I just want to go through this. I just want to go through, here's our financial position. This is what we're saying in our will. Um, if anything happens to us, this is what I really want. Um, do you have any questions? We never need to talk about this again. Yeah, it's that sort of thing. But at least have it once, um, and our, and your kids say, you know, we don't want to talk about this. You know, you're going to live forever. We don't want to. I totally understand that. Well, hopefully that's what they're saying. Um, <laughs> yes.
1: they're not just counting down the days. That counting down the days. This is my
2: inheritance. But I do think it's at least important to broach it. And it's on the flip side, elderly parents who really that generation, the war generation, and all those sort of they don't like talking about it. So it's it's even harder with that. But I think that's important to talk about that from that side of it as well. Mm.
1: Yeah, I remember even just at a previous job, there was some clients where the husband had been running the, the finances for a long time and doing all the investments. And the widow was calling afterwards and saying, I just, I don't know where any of the money is. I don't know where yep. the investments are. I don't even know what things are invested in. And I always thought that was horrible that this um, person was sort of just kept in the dark sure it was normalized back then but they they didn't know where their money was or where it was invested and I think that's important to have those conversations like openly with your kids or your parents um, things like that just to make sure even though you're not talking about the specifics you're not saying I've got a hundred thousand dollars in this account but just sort of a general awareness of how you're investing and um, what sort of products you're using even.
2: Yeah and it's it's my probably my number one tip for people when they're talking about estate planning or even just getting a will, is actually to uh, have two things: uh, list all the important people in your life, and also have a list of where all your important documents are, and what they are. You don't have to put pin numbers or anything like that. That's you know you don't for security, but having those sort of things exactly that I have seen way too many situations where widows just were totally in the dark and you know just did not know and. Unfortunately, it's just just, you're paying a solicitor to go try and find these things when actually sometimes you just go and search through drawers and all these other things uh, to try and find these documents. So it's terrible at that stage when someone's just lost a loved one to be put under this financial strain of, well, will I actually, will I lose the house? Will I actually even be able to pay for dinner? Because I never looked after that or never looked at. So I think absolutely you're right. Um, This generation far more... uh, there shouldn't be any excuse for why male or females not learning both. Um, but I still even find from uh, in most relationships, one will still prefer to do it than the other. So it's mm-hmm. not that you shouldn't both know, but one will prefer. So that's fine. As long as you both understand it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think even if that, if one person in relationship, I, I know many people where one just doesn't really care or doesn't want to deal with the finances, but even just um, keeping them sort of aware of what's going on. Okay. I'm investing this money here. I know you don't want to know the fine details, but I'm going to just tell you the the overall picture. And here's how you can log in and things like that, just so they're aware. If anything does happen, they know how to access it, which I think is really important.
2: Agree.
1: Mm, um, and if you were, if you do expect that maybe you've got adult children or teenagers that might be receiving money from you or your parents um, down the track, how? What are some things you can do to to prepare? Uh, kids to receive a sum of money. Okay, I
2: think the first thing is teaching them um, some savings, uh, some cash flow, because it's you learn pretty quickly if you're in your own business or anything like that. Cash flow is king, and it's so important. And it's not so much getting in the, into a tight budget or anything like that, or you know, because most people think negative connotations around a budget, but understanding where your cash is going, um, because you know, from my generation, we were paid weekly. Very rare to find anyone paid weekly. They're either paid fortnightly or more typically monthly now. And what I see is that if you're uh, getting paid um, your salary once a month, first week or two is great. Third week's a bit tough, and fourth week there's either no money or, unfortunately, maybe going into debt to sort of get to that next pay period. So, getting an understanding of uh, firstly uh, how that cash flow is going. Uh, and secondly, where it's going, so that you feel in control, because most people say, you "Now, where did that money go all month? You know, I've made this amount of money in the last six months. Where did it all go?" Mm-hmm. So, keeping a bit of a, a track of, uh, and what's great is pretty well every bank does it for you. you know, it's automatic. You, know, you can just you can track all the different type of things, and just having it, having a look and seeing, okay, this is how much, as you said before, Netflix and all your subscriptions. This is how much Uber eats I get, and all that. That's fine if you want to spend it, and you just say. Uh, Don't have any money at the end of the month, but at least you know. That's absolutely the number one tip for uh, people on, uh, for me, is to get, once you get that cash flow, and it is actually a tip that I actually do like to say is, one is I actually say, if you do get paid monthly, the easiest way is to last a week. And so have a separate bank account that from your main bank account, you just pay yourself a weekly salary once a week uh, and just automatic. And then you don't touch the main bank account where the monthly salary goes in and expenses come out but you have your tap and go uh, weekly salary and if you blow it by it with in four or six you know you only got to last two days till your next one is um and mm-hmm. I think that's a great habit because it was always people who get paid weekly found it far easier with cash flow and budgeting um than this than present with with the whole month thing now
1: yeah it's quite hard when you're looking at uh, you've suddenly got your couple of grand in your bank account for the month. And then you're kind of it looks like a lot at the time, but then the time you get to date 25, 26 oh. of the month, you're going, ah, uh, it's kind of run out.
2: Yeah, exactly right. The second thing is is good debt versus bad debt. It's it's to me, once you get your cash flow right, it's uh it's part of that is understanding how much you're paying for credit cards and all that and getting them under control. You know, credit cards, you should never have more than uh never more debt from a buy now pay later or a credit card or a loan that you can't pay back in 10 months based on your savings capability. So for example, you can, you know you can save two or three hundred dollars a month, therefore you should never be able to borrow more than two or three thousand dollars. Uh, because you should be able to pay that doesn't matter what the credit card says you need to pay back as a minimum, because that will take you 20 years, you want to be able to pay it back in 10 months. So roughly thinking whatever the amount you loan, if you pay it back in 10 months, it's going to be very little interest. So you can just do a simple divide by 10 situation. So that is when it's a bad debt. But I also like to say, um, Robert Kiyosaki he wrote rich dad, poor dad. And while it's a book of just basically stories, and whether you Believe it or not, he really does do a lot on good debt versus bad debt because it's what the rich really have been telling, uh, teaching their kids how to use leverage and buying using good debt to buy properties and shares that will just grow over time. Uh, or having people renting them to will help pay off the loan against bad debt which is you know I'm going to just use all my money to buy the biggest TV or, or whatever it is uh, when really so understanding that good debt first bad debt and there's plenty of stuff on the internet to, uh, to explain how they need to go into a lot more detail but yeah getting your cash flow right getting understanding good debt first bad debt and then the third is getting your super right um, superannuation something that people just, don't bother about 80% of Australians are sitting in the default and it's usually the default balanced or life stages fund. And if they actually did did a little bit of research and looked at, and when I actually look at uh, the returns over say uh, of a superannuation fund, I always look 10 years, at least seven to 10 years, because that's a good indication. One or two years is too hard um, because the share markets go up and down, but 10 years is good. And a balanced fund may have returned on average for most super funds around nine or 10% on average. Yes, there's been one or two bad years, but on average, 10%. A growth or high growth fund has earned 13% um, in most funds. So you should look at that. So that's, and that's just having more shares in your superannuation um, by choosing that. But once you choose that better fund, and I said, this is not advice, everyone should check it out. But it's just, if you just look at history, if you can get an extra two or 3% on average, better return over a 30 year period, your super fund will triple what it would normally have been. But and just forget about it. You don't need to touch it again. I know they always I say, you know, put more contributions and add more contributions. No, just get it invested right and get it working harder for you. Um, They're probably my three tips. And I always say get a safety net of insurance. But that's usually when you're having children and you've got debt. Um, It's probably the fourth one.
1: Do you ever have any examples of uh, clients that had actually sat their kids down and gone, okay, right. Maybe their kids like 25 here, but right. We're going to sort your super out today. We're going to compare some options and actually get you set up because if I help you with this one thing, um, that's going to pay off over decades to come.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Although even if they don't sit down because they may not understand it, there's plenty of information about the, on those sort of things like you know I've got my website there's an article and there's plenty of articles out there that actually explain why uh, investing in the share market or in your super which just means having a, a higher growth type fund uh, is worthwhile as long as you're talking long term you know one or two years especially is right at the moment we're in a down of the share market but the um, and we were slightly down in 2020 but you know it was 2008 was the last time we had a really big negative share market drop. So on average, you're way ahead if you're getting that. So I think, yes, parents can really help that, but you know, you can just definitely for your listeners, They can help themselves just a little bit. They just go to their own super fund. It's not talking about which super funds best or product. It just look at your own super fund, look at the choices, and there'll be say five investment choices, and you'll probably find you're in the middle one. Uh, And it's, um goldilocks isn't appropriate in this situation it's not just a, no it's not too hot not too cold i'm happy in that middle syndrome no you want the one working hardest for you and over a 10-year average which is performing best because based on history that's what we, you know, we're going to base all our future investments on uh, even though it's no guarantee but it's historically i can do 10 years i can go 100 years and I can see that the Australian share market has always been the most best-performing situation. So, yeah, it's it's worth that parents can sit down there and just go through these four different topics, Um, but there's plenty of information out there that they want to say, well, if you don't want to listen to me, go buy, go listen to this podcast, go listen to that, and you'll learn about it for yourself Um, because if they get a healthy comfort for money, um, it'll be a lifelong benefit to them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mark, we've covered a lot of ground in today's episode mm. and lots of strategies for listeners who are interested in getting advice and just understanding a bit more about how the whole process works. Before we wrap up today's conversation, is there anything else you wanted to share with my listeners?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't mind. There's two couple, there's a couple of tips I really love talking about whenever I do this. And the first one was because we're talking about the cash flow. One of the things is even if you don't do the weekly salary, the number one tip I've always done to help people save is to pay yourself first. It's just an old age, uh, true and tried tip, and it just works. And so that, because people will say, okay, whatever I have left over at the end of the fortnight or end of the month is what I'll save. And typically there's nothing ever left by the end of the month. So you make yourself your first creditor. So your first bill, usually the day after you get your salary transfer whatever, it's some a small amount, just start off with something small that it's you're not going to worry about going into another separate bank account that you won't touch. And At least then if by the end of the month, you don't have anything, you've done your savings for the month because you were the first. So pay yourself first. The second one is something I'm getting really a lot into um, in this financial wellness zone. And I know that a lot of the banks are talking about financial wellness, but Really, to me, it boils down to be that uh, work-life balance and being happy and positive makes such a difference. And I find a lot of people say we were talking before about when I get my next pay rise or when I move to this bigger home. That's when you know I'll be financially successful or whatever. But it's usually also you know that's when I get my new job. That's when I'll be happy. Now you need to be happy now and positive now. That will help you get your next salary. Uh, increase that will help you next get your next job or even if it doesn't you'll still be happy but too many people think of that next pay rise that next job that next situation that's when i'll be happy where it's to me it's the wrong way around so financial wellness to me is it's not just about financially being uh comfortable it's also being happy and healthy as well
1: i love that mark and if people want to learn a bit more about you and your brand new book the money sandwich where should they go?
2: Well, they can go to any bookstore. It's it's pretty well uh, anywhere around Australia and New Zealand. You can buy it online, uh, Booktopia and Amazon. It's there, uh, and they can also head to the money sandwich.com website. There's lots of free articles, free calculators. Um, yeah, I built this for sort of people who, who may be that intermediate step before getting financial advice. Just don't want to pay a lot, or they may not be able to afford everything on my website's free, basically, apart from saying the buy the book or uh, this new online course, but lots of resources, lots of calculators. And so it's all there free.
1: Yeah. And it's a good resource for any older listeners who are looking for something that might be a bit more suitable to them and maybe talking from someone who's experienced what they're going through. Because I know Owen and I are on the younger side in our 20s and 30s. So sometimes it's good to actually hear from someone uh, in your own generation as well, who might have a different perspective on things.
2: Yeah. And hopefully many of your viewers may be looking for a Father's Day or Christmas present for their their parents. So it'd be a perfect (laughs) present to book for them as well.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing some of your tips and lessons and experiences as a financial advisor um, and from your research for the book with my listeners today.
2: Thank you, Kate. Much appreciated.